0: ask the average person, how how do you describe a healthy church? And immediately, that person will tell you how many attend. They'll tell you the size of the budget, the size of the parking lot, and to be sure, they'll tell you about having a little, what they call it, a coffee spot where you can get your cup of coffee before you go into the service. Now, I am not making fun of anybody. I'm saying that's how we we talk about it. We never talk about the things that are really about a healthy church. You know, if if someone comes to me and say to me, um, Winston, how is your health this week? And I say to them, you know, boy, the Raptors played last night and they stunk the place out. Who are the Raptors? Oh, that's the Toronto basketball team. And they stunk the place out too. What has that to do with your health? Oh, my health. Oh, yeah. Well, and we can go on. And we almost find it difficult to describe anything with the church when it comes to what a healthy church is like. I have a book in my study on a healthy church, and the writer said this. It is clear from the New Testament story that numbers and quantitative growth never become a means for measuring a church's success in the New Testament. Even those that were relatively large, though numerical growth and spiritual growth were certainly not mutually exclusive, there was a major fundamental criteria for discerning spiritual growth in these churches that clearly emerges from a biblical record. This is not what this study is about, says the writer. From the measurement, from these measurement, we look at the supra-cultural principles that can guide us into evaluating the health of a church. May I repeat that? We look at the supracultural. Not something that you can find anywhere else. It goes beyond that. And that is what we have here in Colossians 3. Listen, he said, The first thing you will find in a healthy church is members forbearing one another. Because the church is not occupied by perfect people. The second thing you will find... in a a, a healthy church is forgiveness because every member is a recipient of God's forgiveness so they share that with one another the third thing you will find in a church is love love that seeks to serve love that is willing to be sacrificial for others and this morning we come to the fourth thing you'll find in a healthy church peace peace Look Look at our text. Colossians chapter 3 verse 14. The apostle begins this way. Colossians 3 verse 14. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Just those two little words, and let, and let. You see, that word is making an assumption that what is needed, this peace that is needed, is there. And he's saying, give it access. Let it, let it, let it come through. Don't admire it. But give it access so that it, it, can, it can do something for the atmosphere that is supposed to be there. Let it. Let the person in, we might say. Let the dog in. Let the cat in or in or out. Well, in the same way, the apostle is saying that peace is assumed here. Uh, you remember in the 80s or the 90s or one of them, <coughs> We used to sing a song, Lord, make us one. you remember that? I never sang it. Not because I was rebellious. I never sang it because God has already made us one. And if I ask Him to make us what He has already made us, we're telling Him something that He didn't do a good job or I don't agree with Him on it. I don't ask Him to make me. I don't ask Him... To make me a peaceable person. He has already established the way by which I can become that way. And once I am there, we shall see in a minute. Then we begin to experience it. Peace in the New Testament and the Old Testament. Are are seen from a different venue. uh, Or or, uh, position if you please. In the Old Testament. Peace is seen as what I call. Internal peace. Or if you please, it is subjective peace. And it is seen in a beautiful way in the 26th chapter of the book of of um, I'm sorry, of the book of um, Isaiah. <clears throat> Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3, Isaiah writing said this. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusts in thee. Now I'm not going to go through, uh, try to exhaust this text, except to say this. This is what I call the beauty of peace. Because the word here is the word shalom, shalom. And that word is is a Hebrew word which, which speaks of things coming together and working beautifully. It is saying you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is rightly relating to his intellect, rightly relating to his soul, rightly relating to his spirit. Each part of what makes up my being is working in such a way that it is like a well, if you please, oiled machine. That's what shalom means. It's not the absence of difficulties. It is that, that in the midst of it, as we shall see at the end of the service, there is something that provides for us not to, not to come apart inwardly. The word the word. Is is telling us there's a, a way in which what God provides in his peace keeps me from falling apart. It is it is experience, experience peace. It is there. It is referring to that inner fulfillment. It, it is saying, I am not unaware of the wind and the waves that's blowing against my life. But there is something inside of me that I am at rest. I am resting. I, I, on the way here this morning, Lois and I were listening to a program that took me back to my first college. And, and they were singing a song on peace like a river glorious is God's perfect peace overall victorious in its bright increase perfect yet it floweth fuller every day I used to sing that in college and when, it, when I sang it in college it was wonderful because I wasn't facing any difficulties I wasn't going through any difficulty at that point in my life. So I was able to sing it. To sing it with a, with a sense of gusto. And when I was leading the singing in the, in, in the congregation, a congregation of over 2,000 people, I could lead them. Let's sing it. And then, my friends, life took on when I left the confines of that place and got into a world that was not a friend of grace I had to know that that peace was able to be experienced where I was then that that peace was not confined to the location back there in the prairies but I was able to experience it in the hustle and bustle (laughs) I, I, I don't need to tell you this but Lois will tell you when we drove from Alberta into Toronto and I thought what am I doing here? I mean the place was moving so fast and they didn't have GPS's in those days and all I could ask is where do I turn? Where do I turn? and she would say I'm looking, I'm looking How do we know peace in a strange place? Israel asked that question when they were in Babylon. I can't sing the Lord's song in a strange place. When my day turns into night, how do you ask me to be peaceful? Thou will keep him in perfect peace. We'll see this later on. The beauty of it. It is something that, is, that you cannot explain. But in the New Testament... Peace is seen in a different light. If it is experienced, described in the Old Testament, we have the basis for it in the New Testament. Listen to how peace comes to us in the New Testament. This peace is relational, not simply emotional. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new. I told you before and I, 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 it bears repeating. That word new is not to get another something like that word new is something has never been like this before it is absolutely new listen as it goes on might make in himself one new man in place of the two soul making peace the peace in the new testament is the peace that belo- that begins vertically Therefore, justified by faith, we have peace with God. The hostility between us and God has been broken down. He has redeemed me. But the hostility between people is also broken down in the blood of Christ. So for peace in the New Testament, it cost God the blood of His Son and He made Peace by breaking down everything that would keep us apart so that we could exist as one body. You know, when I was in Toronto, there was a big thing going on. We wanted to have um, a Japanese church and an Indian church and some other, and I have always had a hard time with that. Not because of anything culturally. But my friends, when we come into the house of God as God's people, there is no Indian, there is no Chinese. When we come, we recognize that we're different, but I'm going to tell you what holds us together Is that we are related by blood. Divine blood. And that blood addresses everything that would keep us apart. So that the new man that is seen, is seen in such a way that people are amazed by it. Amazed by it. (laughs) I I, I don't know, this comes to my mind every time I think of it. Uh, The church we're at, this old gentleman lost his coat, coat or his hat, and I saw him looking rather um, frightened, and I said, can I help you? And he said, you know, I don't know which door I came in, but I, I can't find my hat or my coat, one of them, and so I walked back with him and didn't see it. And so I said, I said to him, give me your name and I'll see if anyone took it and I'll make sure you get it. And he said, are you the janitor? <laughs> I said no, but I'll still look for it for you. Because you see, we, we, we have a... In fact, no, I wouldn't say this. We, we have this idea That when we look at people, we see them as we think they are to exercise themselves. But, my friends, when people come into a healthy church, they sense forbearing, forgiveness, they sense love, and they sense peace. That's a healthy church, not the size, but the health of it. Look at the blessings of peace. The blessings of peace. There is the beauty of peace because it's inward. There's a basis of peace by the cross and there's a blessings of peace. Do you recall, my friends, before Jesus went to the cross? Before he went to the cross, he made a promise to the disciples. In John 14, 27 and it's 1633, and he said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, give I you. And then he said these words, Let not your heart be troubled. Wow. Do you remember what Jesus did when he was at the back of the boat and the storm was coming into the boat and the disciples were really concerned about what they were going to do? What was Jesus doing? And what did the disciples say? Don't you care? I'm going to tell you my friends when you are able to sleep in the midst of pain that is to be resting in the peace which God gives people will think you're hallucinating they'll think something is wrong because for them that's not the way we take care of it and and so Jesus gave this promise and and, and listen to what he says further in in John 16:33 he said When I am speaking these things to you, the words he was speaking, I am speaking these words to you that in me you might have peace. So Jesus is saying, I'm giving you my word. Use my word. Because in my word you will find me and in me you will find peace. then that never-to-be-forgetful evening when the disciples were cowardly hiding in the upper room, Jesus appeared to them and what was the first thing he said to them? Peace be to you. That's the blessings of peace. As, as the disciples were frightened out of their wits, and Jesus said, rest, peace be to you. And every time after that, during that period that Jesus met with the disciples, the first thing he said to them was, peace, peace. And the Apostle Paul is saying, that is what should take place in your life and mine. So we have seen, the, when we think, Of the assumption of peace. We've seen its beauty. We've seen its basis. We've seen its blessing. But now we come down to where the rubber is going to meet the roads. Back to Colossians 3.15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the peace of Christ rule. <laughs> that, that word rule is, is, to, is, is talking about someone who umpires a game. And, and, and when, when the umpire says something, that is it. And if you argue with the um, umpire, what happens? Sh, sh, a short step. To the shower room. And this is exactly what it is. It arbitrates. It umpires. That's what the word rule means. So that the, the function, the function of, of peace in a healthy congregation is to be able to control the inner being so that you're able to give a soft answer When what would naturally be an angry answer? (laughs) Peace is to control our inner being. While there might be differences of opinion, we are able to place ourselves under His authority. To recognize Christ has already established peace. That's what Ephesians Chapter uh, three says uh, two says, "It must rule. It must, it, it, must, it must speak to me, not to the thing. This peace is to rule over my heart. I am to allow myself his authority to take control of my responses. That's what the peace does. It rules. It doesn't ask for access. It exercises authority. Let it rule. Not only to be believed. David wrote in Psalm 4 and verse 8, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for thou alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. In peace, in shalom. David was not in a good place at this point. And he said, I'm going to lay down and I'm going to sleep. The function of peace, my friends, is to rule. But then we move one book backwards to the book of Philippians. And we see the protection of peace. This really gets involved here. We know it, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. And it begins... Don't be anxious about anything. (laughs) Don't be anxious about anything. The King James translation says, don't be careful. The word is to care for many things that tears you apart. Anxiety makes a division in your mind. It tends to create confusion. But I want you to see what this does in Philippians 4. In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God will protect your mind and your heart. This is interesting. In Colossians, it speaks only of the heart. But here in Philippians chapter 4, Paul says that the peace of God truly functions in our minds in order that our hearts might feel. Let me see if I can break that down for you. Let it rule in your heart. You know that when we speak of the heart, we're talking of the place where feelings are, where emotions are. we're we're talking about that central place from from where springs all the springs of life according to Proverbs 4 and 23. It, It is a place where our emotions rest. And if our emotions do not have the right information, it can become an explosive thing. So Paul said, let the peace of God rule your heart. But for your heart to be ruled by this peace there needs to be information. And the information will come from God's word to the mind that the heart responds to. And when information from God's revelation is taken into my mind it doesn't stay there By me questioning what God says, but with the heart I believe. And when I believe, says Paul, the peace of God will protect you. Here's what I want to say, friends. I've thought this and prayed about this a great deal. There are a number of people who are still affected by past sins. You remember it. The mind reminds you. There is no peace in your heart because how can I feel when? And we have all kinds of information that tends to keep us from the shalom of God. Because we're still consumed by the past. And what the peace of God does when Satan brings to our minds sins we have confessed to God, we say, yes, but the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sins. That will bring peace. You see, because, because for your sins and mine, the only way to deal with it is not how sorry we are, but who can pay the price For the one that has been offended, Jesus did. He is our peace. And so the mind gets the information from the Word. And in a miraculous way, the Holy Spirit takes what goes into the mind and with our cooperation, Philippians 1, 12 and 13, it is God who is at work in you. There is a miracle that takes place where God is able to take His written Word Bring it to our minds to contradict what, what, what the flesh or what the devil wants to remind us of. And I do not make any excuse for my past sins because they are covered by the blood of Christ. So I am not, I am not going around thinking, oh boy, I blew it last week. If I have confessed confess that, my friends, God's blood, the blood of Christ took care of it. See, the mind, the mind, the mind is where the conflict is. Uh, Paul in 2 Corinthians says, we are wrestling with thoughts. Thoughts that are saying this and saying that, not only about me, but about God. And the peace of God will protect the mind from receiving inaccurate claims by the world, the flesh, and the devil, and keeps before me that which is actually true, that Christ is our peace, that his blood has made one new man. And so now the mind is feeding the heart with divine truth. And when the mind feeds the heart with divine truth, the mind is released so that it is no longer consumed by accusations from the past. That's what the peace of God does for us. And when that happens, my friends, in a congregation, when people are not consumed with how they failed in the past and how they might fail in the future, because the peace also takes care of that, by the way. The peace of God takes care of the possibility. Beloved, says John, if any man sins, not when any man sins, if any man sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous. So the peace of God protects us from mental pressures that, my friends, I I sat at my desk and I thought of this. Think of how many people are consumed with mental problems today and let me assure you that some of them are medical but, my friends, some of them are morals. And if, if, uh, back in the 70s, I think someone wrote a book, and I forget the name of the man, he said, if the world would be ready to accept the the sins in the human heart, I could empty half the asylums. Because, my friends, what we put in our minds will go to our hearts. And when our hearts, if our hearts darkened by sin is not enlightened by the word of God, that thing is going to destroy us. That is why Paul said, let the peace of God rule. That is why, and and, you know, it's interesting, when you look at Philippians 4, it says, in, in Colossians 3, it says, let the peace of Christ. In Philippians 4, it says, let the peace of God. That's not contradiction, my friends. That's good news. You know why it's good news? Because the peace we're talking about belongs to the Trinity. And that's what he brings to us. So that we are able to look at life in the worst that life can bring and we can rest. Rest. You know, when my mother died, Kathy and I got into a corner and uh, Kathy said, Winston, I can't be sorrowful. And I said to her, neither can I. We had this overwhelming peace saying, yes, your mother is dead. But your mother looked forward to this day. so so much so that my mom said to us when I die I want you to sing face to face with Christ my Savior face to face what will it be my sister and I sang it for her let the peace of Christ rule oh my friends think of the agitation in the world we're living in right now the conflicts, the confrontation the criticism, the condemnation And Paul says to us this morning in the 21st century, you can rest in the midst of that. You can rest in the midst of that. Let me quickly end with the atmosphere of peace. The atmosphere of peace. Colossians 3.15. Look at the last part of the verse. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. To which indeed you were called in one body or into one body. And be thankful. What is the atmosphere of peace like? First of all, it's a spiritual atmosphere. If anyone comes in this place and sends something unique, it is not because of the the people who occupy this place. It is because of what's in the people. You were called... Into one body. Christ did not die an African death, a Chinese death. No. One body. And the word call, always used in the New Testament, is always a word having to do with a divine calling. So that when we were called into one body, he didn't call us to separate ourselves as we go on. He's talking about spiritual unity. An atmosphere, a sense, something that is there. You can't can't put your hand on it, but it is there. That's why we were singing that song this morning. There's a quiet understanding when we're gathered in His presence. There's a peace we find, in a love we find in Jesus. Because ours, my friends, is not a political gathering. Ours is not a social gathering. All that might be true outside of this, but when we are here, we come as a spiritual gathering and we have the awareness of God. 1 Corinthians 14, when the word of God is preached, if anyone walks into the church who is not a believer, they will sense that God is in this place. Ask how large is your church? What is your church like? And they won't tell you that. I remember several years ago <laughs> there was a famous hockey player that was moving up to the area where I was. Now I want you to hear me. Because this is not what I'm saying. And immediately, as soon as we heard that that famous hockey player was going to come, things started to happen to the minds of people. Wow. Just think of the increase of the budget if he comes. Just think of the popularity of this church if he comes. And I'm thankful to God he didn't come. He didn't come. Because friends, if we are mesmerized by human personalities in the church and ignore the presence of God, we have failed to be the church. We have failed to be the church. Because the church recognizes centrality of Jesus Christ. And when he is present, he permeates the entire place So that people say, I can't put my hand on it, but there is something. The church is one foundation, yet she on earth hath union with God, the three in one, and mystic sweet communion. That's what the peace of God does. That there's a celebration within the hearts of the people. So it's a spiritual atmosphere. But I end, my friends, with the fact that it is a scintillating atmosphere. i tell you what I mean by that. And I, I was studying this text and I thought, you know what the text doesn't say? <laughs> it says, and be thankful. And be thankful. <laughs> the word... The word for thankful in the original is a word that says gratitude. Filled with gratitude. That's why it says be thankful. There is this sense, I feel this sense of gratitude from God. For what He has done. For who He is. It is this inward feeling that results in the expression of thanksgiving. I just don't say thank you. I feel it. And when when gratitude is present in a congregation, you walk in there and you can tell there's something completely different from these people. They, they, they sense it. And, and, and way back in, in, in the 70s, Lois and I, went to a church in Victoria, British Columbia. And, and as we walked in, there was this sense, oh, my word. And in those days, they didn't have youth. You know, one of the big churches in, where I was in, in, in outside Toronto, they had a different place where the young people met for their worship service and the older people met in a different place for their worship service. And I thought, what a terrible thing. What a terrible thing. Because, my friends, when people can come in, like we sense in that church in in BC, young and old sitting together, celebrating, having this, this sense of gratitude. It doesn't say give thanks. It doesn't say give thanks. It says be thankful. So the word is be grateful. Live with this sense of gratitude so that whatever, whatever might come about, you are able to experience God's peace, let it rule. Some months prior to the big fire in Chicago in 1871, Spafford had invested heavily in real estate on the shore of Lake Michigan. And his holdings were wiped away by disaster, the 1871 fire. Just before this, he had experienced the death of his son, desiring rest for his wife and four daughters, as well as wishing to join them and assist D.L. Moody in his crusade in Ireland. <clears throat> Spafford planned a European trip for his family in 1873. In November of that year, Due to unexpected last-minute business, he had to remain in Chicago, but he sent his wife and four daughters ahead on a scheduled um, ship. Of course, you know, in those days, there was no airplanes flying back and forth. He expected to follow them in a few days. On November 22, 1873, that ship was struck by another ship In the English vessel, an English vessel, and sunk in 12 minutes. Several days later, Spafford received a telegram from his wife saved but alone. The four girls had succumbed to a watery grave. Shortly afterwards, Spafford left by ship to join his bereaved wife. And it is said that on his way to meet his wife as the place where the ship had sunken where his daughters had met their death he took pen and paper and he wrote the words to the song we're going to end the service this morning when peace like a river attendeth my way When sorrows like sea billow rolls, whatever befalls thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Let the peace of God rule. Let the peace of God protect. We too will be able to sing, it is well. Let us pray. Father, I do not know what might be the needs of the people, but this is your word. And I pray that we would have sensed your ministry by your spirit through your word to give us the ability to know your peace and to let that peace rule. We thank you that that which you have told us to allow, you give. We thank you that the newness of relationship is based not upon belonging to the same party, sharing the same philosophy, but being washed in the blood of Christ. And Lord, we sing these hymns sometimes and we like the feeling they give. But oh God, help us to know the cost at which some of them have come to us, like this one. And I'm not praying that any of us will face any kind of difficulty demanding, Lord, our energies, but I pray that as we go through life and as we meet rivers and fires and waters and colliding ships, we will know the ruling of God's peace and the protection by peace so that we are not overcome by our experience. In Jesus' name, amen.